Welcome to the Women Shifting Gears podcast, where we talk to some of the most dynamic, inspiring, and powerful women who are changing the narrative of what it means to be female in the automotive space. I'm your host, Amanda Busick. They say it might not be easy, but it will be worth it. To all the women out there sitting in the left seat, grab your road snacks. Let's go for a ride. On this week's Women Shifting Gear podcast, Mercedes Lilienthal stops by to join us. Mercedes is an award-winning photojournalist and PR marketing consultant that creates unique content that involves vehicular adventure, the automotive industry as a whole, and women making a positive difference within it. Along with writing for notable publications like the New York Times, Mercedes is the editor-at-large for Tread Magazine and also a feature editor at Toyota Cruisers and Trucks. She, along with her husband Andy, run a blog site and related social channels called Crankshaft Culture, where every vehicle is an adventure. The duo are avid automotive enthusiasts. You can follow Mercedes and Andy's adventures on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube via at Crankshaft Culture. You can also connect with Mercedes via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram at Mercedes Lilienthal and on Twitter at Rider with Grit. I really, really enjoyed Mercedes' tenacity, and I think you will too. And welcome to our weekly Women Shifting Gears, Mercedes Lilenthal. And we just found out where to find you all on social media. But one of the things that I saw recently was a post where you made, and the quote was, if you're not failing, you're not trying. Where does that energy come from for you? Decaf coffee. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I... Somewhere deep within, um, my parents were always really, really hard workers. Um, you know, they emigrated from Germany not knowing a word of English. And, you know, they worked really, really hard for anything and everything that um, they were able to receive in life. So I think it's just something at your core. If you want it bad enough, you're just going to try. And if you can't find your way, you'll find another way. You said that your parents immigrated from Germany. Do you have any stories from early in their days that maybe were challenging as they uh, reassimilated life here in the United States? Gosh, uh, they came over in the 60s and they had, I think, a small pallet of stuff and they they ended up getting sponsored by a woman, a Polish woman that knew just a little bit of broken English or broken German enough to uh, be a sponsor for them wow. in Chicago. And my mom, uh, when they moved, she didn't know any pants. It was the 60s. You always just wore skirts and dresses and things. And she learned very quickly with Chicago snow not to, uh, <laughs> you know, to, to wear pants and not to be wearing uh, skirts running around during the dead of winter. But I think through them, I learned a lot of just determination and, and overcoming, you know, whether it's language barrier or whether it's just trying to find your way and not knowing anybody or anything or just trying to teach yourself whatever it is you can to make it you know, they certainly had a lot of challenges. They had their own welding and fabricating and blacksmith shop and what ended up being central Wisconsin, just the two of them and a hoist. So I learned a lot there, you know, the the lean years and then the productive years. And, and there's a lot in between that I use them as, as great examples in my life. What is your earliest childhood memory? Running around Lake Sherwood in central Wisconsin with our yeah. German shepherds, <laughs> playing with my little <laughs> sister, I guess. <laughs> and cars, there were always cars around, um, whether it's VW um, you know, old rabbit that it was a diesel that my dad retrofitted to run his own blend of biofuel or the Isuzu cab over truck that we had, you know, that had uh, he built a, a custom bed and a crane on the back of it to help with work duties. 
he had an international truck, a dually that actually was a single truck, but he made it a dually, you know, just, yeah, there's always vehicles around and he was always tinkering on everything. If it wasn't at work, it was at home. When your bio, we learned more about what you're doing now and including the writing and the photojournalists and stuff uh, along those lines, but there was a quite a resume uh, that led into these moments. What was first for you? You graduated high school. Uh, what was your next stop? Oh, gosh, I graduated high school and you're gonna bring up all the good stuff. (laughs) I graduated high school in central Wisconsin, um, a little tiny town um, that had paper mills. That was pretty much the claim to fame and a lot of timber there because Wisconsin is known as, you know, making a lot of paper and paper products. And then I um, decided, you know, with my mom's help at that time, my dad had unfortunately passed on. But with my mom's help, um, was putting myself through college and, um, you know, couldn't afford the big fancy school. So started at an extension school of University of Wisconsin in Marshfield and did it a couple years of classes there on and off as I worked. You know, worked at places like Pizza Hut or a, a department store that is called Yonkers. I don't know if they're even around anymore, like a Dayton's or, you know, uh, Macy's or something like that in the home store department because I loved just dishes and interior design stuff. And I worked, you know, with brides, you know, on their registries and all sorts of things. So kind of worked my way through and then eventually went to UW Wisconsin Stout uh, and then graduated college there and then started my my first career of um, many, many, many years, um, probably close to 20, but I'd say including some of the layoffs with, with the economy going south, I'd say maybe 16-ish or so as a commercial interior designer and project manager. When you look at that experience, I was looking over your, your resume, you're lead certified in interior design and construction, you've been a restaurant designer, you've been uh, a project manager, most recently, your last stop before, uh, I don't know if you look at it as inflection points in your life, but your last corporate stop was at Nike headquarters. When you think of coming from Wisconsin to the headquarters of Nike, did you see that as part of your growth? I didn't. I didn't. I think I think that every transition you have, whether it's personally or professionally, is meant to happen for a reason. You know, I found myself on the other side of the segment, not necessarily designing interiors, but when I was at Nike, I was a contractor, but I was a department and people head of a team of people in their facilities department. So we basically managed the drawings of where, you know, the whole entire world headquarters sat, where the where the core group of people, where they sat, was their demolition, was their construction with buildings, um, updating certain drawings, things like that. So my department managed that. And, you know, again, I was a contractor working for another company, but there are many of us contractors that work at Nike or, you know, other different companies that are uh, worldwide, like Intel or Adidas is here too. There's, you know, many of different companies, but so there's full-time people and then also contractors. I mean, having Nike on your resume, I would say there's a lot of individuals and across the country that would love to even see that name uh, on their LinkedIn page. But what happened on April 17th, 2018? Oh, April 17th, 2018. That was the day that along with the wonderful support of my family and friends and especially my husband, Andy, I decided to, no pun intended, switch gears, but literally switch (laughs) gears and switch careers and follow a passion of mine of words and cars and see if I can, you know, make it a go as a, as a full-time freelancer, you know, automotive journalist and PR and marketing. And, and almost three years later, almost to the day, actually um, it's, yeah, it's, it's been a wild ride. It's been good. When you think of that moment that you leapt into uh, this new phase of your profession and career, were there any kind of jobs or anything that you had lined up to help that transition easier? 
There was. I One of the companies uh, that I did interior design for uh, and project management for, uh, they said, hey, you know, if you want to come back just as a contractor, uh, we're drowning, we need help. Very, very small firm, firm here in Portland. And I said, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> so I literally drove from the world headquarters right over to their office <laughs> and started later on that day. So uh, I didn't take any time off. I literally took like the chance to eat some lunch. And then I went over and started freelancing right away. They were quintessentially important because they were busy at the time. They knew my work. I knew them. I was an employer or employee with them. And with that, they were also very flexible. So if I said, hey, you know, I, I need to go to this event and, and start writing for this magazine or take this time off, they were very flexible. They were just happy to take whatever I could give them as far as time in exchange, obviously, for pay. So that, that was important. That was a good step. When you make the transition to freelance, um, I made that leap myself back in at the end of 2018. At this point, sometimes, or even on Instagram, a lot of people see the glory of it, right? They see the travels, they see what you're up to now. That goes without saying that, uh, you know, it's a financial risk. Personally, I lost benefits. Uh, There's a lot of um, things that kind of hold people back from making that leap. What were some of the fears that you had? Of not being able to make enough money to sustain the lack of benefits, just like you said. Um, You know, I lost uh, great benefits like, um, you know, with healthcare. Thankfully, my husband was able to then pick me up on his insurance plan, paid vacation. What's that? You get to work 80 (laughs) hours a week nowadays because as a freelancer, you're on all the time. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, (laughs) making sure that you can get your name out there in a sustainable, holistic and positive way, and hopefully make a difference and inspire others. You know, there it's, it's hard, you know, not only do you have maybe one boss or two bosses, you have probably 40. You know, you sometimes have to be a professional nag if people don't get back to you, or they're (laughs) lacking an email, or you need a response or, or just call back or whatnot, just have to be on them, stay on them, get on them, you know, and just but in a very uh, elegant and non aggressive way, obviously, but you have to, you know, people are busy, everybody's multitasking times 20 million nowadays. and, And I think, you know, along with the long hours, the the lack of money, the making sure you, you know, can get or make money because you're the only person now that has to go out and drum up business um, because you're working for yourself. Yeah, those are those are definitely challenges. And and I think one of the biggest reasons why we meaning Andy and me, because it's not just me taking the leap, he took the leap with me, I could always go back, I still could always go back if I needed to or wanted to, you know, I still do some, you know, CAD drafting and and things like that, uh, here and there, or just do some consulting in that world. So I'm not gone completely of it. But for me, it's changing paths, but making sure that you can be centered in yourself and being fulfilled and just being happy. And I think, you know, that to me, I don't know where my life is going to take me tomorrow. Well, tomorrow, maybe, <laughs> you know, to Easter Jeep Safari coming soon, um, or will have by, I think, uh, by the time I think this uh, airs. But, you know, I don't know where next month is going to lead. But I think that that is some of the awesomeness to it. When you talk about what makes you happy, what's different now from three years ago? I love meeting people. I absolutely love meeting people. And I think being a freelancer, I get to kind of peek behind the 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 walls and the windows and the doors and the curtains of a lot of people in a way that I couldn't really get that from corporate life. You know, as a desk job goer, I jokingly say as a desk job goer, um, you know, or a person, you, you know, you're, you're regulated to your team, you're regulated to all the business and it is business, you know, full time for myself now, but I get to meet people and I get to um, work with them in collaborative ways that I haven't really necessarily been able to do that before. 
How has going freelance and Andy making the leap as well with you, how has uh, your lifestyle changed? Gosh, I've been working from home since April, (laughs) since April 17th. You know, a lot of long hours. I need to make sure that, um, you know, I put the laptop, put the phone away, make sure that I've got time to myself, make sure that I've got time with him, make sure that I've got time to decompress sometimes because you are always on, you know, there's, I choose to always be on, let me put it that way. You know, some freelancers just are really good at saying, okay, no, I'm taking today off or this or that. For me, it's just the drive, it's the go, go, go. It's the just, you know, seeing what I could do and how I can make a difference in people's lives and hopefully make an impact in an inspiring manner that is what keeps me going. I just need to make sure to have that balance, that work-life balance that, of course, everybody talks about, so... When you talk about kind of the hustle that comes with it and you have 40 different bosses, uh, one of those bosses happens to be the New York Times. Uh, I went back and looked at the archive. It seems that less than a year and a half after you left your corporate job, actually, it was 534 days to be exact. (laughs) Uh, you were published in the New York Times. What was it like seeing your name in that byline? It was incredible. A bucket list that for me in my mind's eye at that point in time, I never thought was ever to happen, but with a lot of hard work and a, you know, going backwards, going sideways, you know, going up and down hills and, you know, stalling your engine out and then revving it back up and going again and, you know, to get to that point. But I think, you know, having my name, you know, seeing my name as byline in the New York Times and multiple different pieces now is it's, it's really awesome. It's, it's for me, it's making people smile, making people, you know, keeping them entertained, showing, gosh, it's, it's hard to describe. It really is. Um, Some of the stories that I've written have been about people trying to make a difference to stop uh, childhood trafficking, you know, the rebel rally, right? That's that, you know, I was a competitor in 2018. That was my first uh, times article, you know, but also covering it as media travel woes across the world with other people that have had major instances of challenges. So it's, it's not all been, you know, fun and games. I have some really entertaining ones coming up that'll be fun and oddball, but uh, I guess the variety of subjects, it's so interesting and very challenging for me to write, but the editors are awesome and the whole team is awesome to work for and work with. And um, yeah. I appreciate the honesty. Uh, I enjoyed the one where you and your husband went to Florida and picked up the Delta and drove it all the, but in a pandemic. Right. And the different things that you saw along the way and the way that states were handling it differently, the way that um, one of the things that kind of shocked me is it was kind of at that time where, you know, masks weren't necessarily enforced. Uh, We had 24,000 deaths in New York uh, at the time. And and you think of where it was at that point and and where it where it went. But it's almost uh, your account of your traveling 13 states is a record in time of this pandemic. Right. Yeah, I, I, we did not take that trip lightly at all. Um, we did days and days of research. I talked to 13 states worth of um, health official departments of, of uh, state troopers offices to make sure because we knew we didn't, we wouldn't have the correct, complete paperwork with us to even drive all those 13 states back. Um, you know, the DMV in Oregon, I'm sure is, is countrywide is just insanely busy and backlogged and swamped. And, and so we didn't have our trip permit from Oregon to be able to do that correctly. Long story. That's for another podcast. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I, I pitched it to them and I said, you know, usually 
as a reporter, as a writer for the New York Times, you don't talk about your own accounts. Um, you're a reporter. You're not first person speaking. And I pitched the idea and I said, listen, I said, this is something that we're contemplating doing. We had shipping quotes and thought in case we thought that it was just too dangerous. But, um, you know, they said, yes, if you're going to go ahead and do it, um, let's let's do an article on it. It could be really interesting to see and peel back the layers of the deep south compared to the Midwest or, not, you know, the lower Midwest and, you know, compared to the Rocky Mountain region and, and even back home in the Pacific Northwest, how they all handled it. And it was just a fascinating article, you know, of course, inexperience. And, and you know, now seeing we're at what we're um, in March, late March right now seeing how low that point was when we went to skyrocketing as it is now. And it still is. It's we literally were able to time it. It was at one of the lowest points of when COVID even started out. But for us, we wanted to make sure that we were uh, safe, that we we're safe towards everybody else. So we we're healthy. Um, we packed our own food. We slept in the van. We got very friendly with Love's parking lots because we stayed there and, you know, and but we, we did all of that stuff. We, we, you know, kept our distance. We did the best we could to be socially aware. And even though there are people parting, you know, next to us with stilettos and, and not wearing masks and all dolled up, ready to go out to dinner. And we're sitting here masked up, you know, <laughs> just hand sanitizer. And it just, it was crazy. It was, you know, I could write a book on that, that trip alone. You and your husband spend a lot of time uh, inside cars uh, for long distances of time and many different climates and cultures. Uh, what's it like sharing this adventure with Andy? He's my best friend and my best traveling mate. To me, I think we're at our core, at our best when we travel together. You know, somebody had asked me at one point in time, what kind of music do you listen to? <laughs> Honestly, 95% of the time we listen to nothing. We either talk or just let the road speak to us, which a lot of people might think we're really weird if we're pulling a you know 15 hour drive day and we don't even listen to the radio. But um, but that's kind of how we are. And, and you know, we, we've had some um, bumps and bruises and things along the way and some, you know, uh, times where we had to kind of work things out because you, you kind of locked in a steel box together, whether you're traveling over New Zealand or Iceland or Germany or just even down in North Carolina, or, you know, for an event or something. Um, you know, but it's, it's how you communicate through those things, whether it's, you know, positively or constructively, if you had an argument, because they will happen, especially if you're locked in a you know steel box together. I think that that we've grown so much as a couple, you know, we've been together for over 20 years now, married 14 ish, I think. But uh, I think that it's just so important. And so for us, I think it's it's just natural. We can't wait to get back out on the road here actually in two days. One of the adventures that I was uh, looking over on your blog, uh, Crankshaft Culture, uh, was uh, when you guys were doing the 5,000 miler, uh, I guess it's Alcan 5,000, I hope yes. I'm saying that right. Uh, but one of the posts that I enjoyed was a photo of you guys uh, pinky promising, yes. <laughs> pinky swearing not to kill each other yep. <laughs> today. We, we did that every morning. <laughs> What are, I mean, because as I was reading, you know, it, it's not uncommon that cars go off the road and, you know, you're going to get pulled out, out of a ditch. You're pulling other people out of a ditch. The challenges that you guys face together, how does it make you stronger as a couple? Oh, gosh, great questions. Um, the Alcan 5000 rally happened literally about a year ago. Just, um, you know, the finishing day was two weeks ago, a year ago. So it was in the Arctic. It was during winter. Temperatures dipped down to negative 40 and beyond, especially with an old right-hand drive diesel. That makes it Oof. very interesting, uh, you know, interesting uh, enough to, to be able to drive. But, you know, we had um, time speed distance rallies or TSDs that happened many a times. There were maybe two every day. There was maybe one or two days of the 10-day competition where they didn't happen. 
that's when we pretty much every morning when we started driving, because we knew there are a lot of TSDs that were going to happen. We did the pinky swear. You know, <laughs> good communication, don't kill each other, have fun, breathe, you know, and, and I've got some videos of that as well, because it was important to us. And we do kind of pinky swear, it's our, our little thing. But you know, through through challenges can come triumphs you didn't expect. I think, you know, having to, you know, ditch dive to not hit another rally car, because there was so much snow spray. And all of a sudden, you know, there was people backed up, backed up, backed up, and, and you had no split time reaction. And he either was going to sail it into a vehicle or sail it into the ditch or, you know, or, or just all of a sudden, you, you know, you can't, you have another vehicle issue or you're trying to help other people and it's 10 below and your nose hairs are freezing shut and you can't see <laughs> and, you know, all, all sorts of things. I think through that, especially with Andy makes me stronger because we figure out our communication, we hone our communication continually, especially if it's in high stress situations. You know, he works for a company called Warren Industries. They um, make premium winches and, and products like um, front bumpers and hubs and all sorts of stuff. And uh, he is one of their um, their marketing managers. And so with that, I've learned so much from him because he teaches a lot of recovery classes. He knows about their products. He knows how to recover to slow down if, you know, again, talking just if you have a vehicular issue, but slow down take a breath, assess the situation, figure out what the easiest course of removal or extraction or whatever may be, and and, and so on and so forth. So I think having him there and, and just working through these things unites us even closer. When you talk about how it brings you and Andy closer and how fulfilling that must be, uh, I'm not sure if it was their first time on a trip together, but you shared this experience with two other couples. How meaningful is it knowing that you can give this gift between the closeness of, of your part, you and your partner to other people? You know, I think it's, it's hard. There were two other buddy cars, so to speak, um, Judy and JR and then Kristen and uh, Garrett. And so they were, we, we jokingly said we're a team back of the bus because we're the last (laughs) ones off the wait list, wait list, excuse me, to come on board for the Alcan rally to be able to share people. And they were all husband and wife, actually funny. They're all husband and wife. Now that I think about it, first time I thought about that, we had so many di- different experiences to share with that at our core. And they had different experiences, even on the same exact competition. But for me, trying to put that in text form or video form or podcast form to have other people come along on the ride with you yeah. in a way where it's, you know, they can read an article or listen to us and just kind of envision things. I think that's that's so key. And, and hopefully some of my writing comes through that way because a lot of these people might not have these experiences or, or might not feel that they are good enough or strong enough or comfortable enough doing any of these types of things. Right. And I didn't know hardly even how to off-road a couple of years ago, drive myself, but I did the Rebel Rally the same year I decided to quit my job and, and completely switch gears. It's, it's about putting yourself out there and saying, you know what, if you want to move across the country, but you're too scared to do so, try it, do it. You could always move back. You know, if, if you don't know anything about rallying, we really didn't. You know, my, the Rebel Rally is pretty much the first big competition rally that I did, which also had TSDs uh, and all sorts of other stuff. Just try it. You know, you never know. You might absolutely love something and just kick yourself you didn't do it 10 years earlier. And for our listeners, the Rebel Rally is actually uh, the longest competitive off-road rally spanning over 12,000 mi- or 1,200 miles, and it happens to be specifically for women. Through your, as a competitor in media, you can bring awareness to this event. Uh, when you can convert people into this lifestyle, is that a gift for you? For me, converting, that's an interesting word. For me, there have been people that have talked to me about 
you know, or ask me about my experiences, you know, what's the good, what's the bad, what's the ugly type of thing. I, I think through my writing and my experiences and sharing that with other women, hopefully gives them confidence to try whatever they want to do, whether it's doing the Rubel rally, competing it in future years, or just trying something different. Maybe they wanted to, you know, do something in their career that they never thought, oh gosh, ask for a raise or, or switch careers or, you know, go somewhere, drive somewhere that they never thought they could, you know, go up all the way up to the Arctic ocean. We'll help you get there. We'll tell, tell you about our experiences or something like that. I think converting for adventure is more of what I would say, because I, I'm not one person to say, oh, you have to do this, or you, you really need to do this type of thing for anything. But hopefully that our experiences, Andy's and myself, as well as other people that do things like this, hopefully it inspires them to carry on their life in a more meaningful and robust way. Well, for the Robel rally, as I said, it is, it is for women specifically. In your biography, it, it says that you like to cover content uh, that showcases women making a positive difference. Uh, in your most recent New York Times article, uh, titled Breaking the Garage's Glass Ceiling. Uh, it is a dedication uh, to the influence of Jesse Combs. Why was the word pioneer so important to you? I had the pleasure of meeting Jesse on multiple occasions. Um, even though I was media at a lot of these events where she ended up racing, to me, I kind of cut my camera down and just talked with her as a human being because I loved her spirit. And she had such a go get em attitude that it wasn't, could we do this? am I going to fail? It was, I'm going to do this. And this is how I'm going to do it. And just go get them. And just such a fiercely competitive in a wonderful and aspiring way of her personality, it'll be forever missed. And for, for me, this, this article was, was so quintessentially important on multiple levels because Jesse is among so many other women that are carrying on her spirit and that are also pioneering. It's not just Jesse being a pioneer. It's, it's others like, you know, Eliza Leon, it's, it's others like um, Sana Anderson that is um, like 20 in her twenties and she's a welder and she's working on heavy duty diesel trucks and Heather Holler, you know, that uh, worked from Subaru and now she's, you know, doing the rally life over in, in Germany and, you know, some of the other people that are involved. And I think that there are, so, there are thousands more women that are behind the scenes that are mechanics, that are techs, that are, um, you know, wrenchers, that are welders, that are everything. And a lot of times they're not talked about. And so for me, I think it's, it's, it's writing about the unseen as well as it is the notable. And to me, Jesse, just knowing her and seeing her drive and just experiencing that on the, the multiple times that I've had a chance to. Do you think she knew the impact that she had in just being her? Gosh, um, I think she did. I think she, she, her impact is so far from over. It's just exemplified times 20 million. Um, I I just, I feel it. There's so many other people that that feel it, both men and women and young kids. and, And I think her spirit is going to, carry on and multiply through organizations like the Real Deal Revolution, the Jesse Combs Foundation, um, you know, all sorts of other organizations, um, SEMA Business Women's Group, just, you know, all of these are network. All of these different groups are helping to highlight women in the industry, you know, whether it's through Jesse, like Jesse Combs scholarships, for instance, or just women in general saying, hey, we can do this. There are ways, there is support, there are different people out there that are willing to help champion you to make you become a better version of yourself, you know, whether it's professionally, personally, or, or both, you know, and I think Jesse was a catalyst 
for that in so many respects. But I think that there are so many other women that will take her energy and keep it moving in such a just forward light and, and positively that's I can't wait. Through your coverage, you get to, as we were saying, spotlight women and how they are making a difference. Why do you think it's important to shift forward this narrative for women, especially in automotive? Being a child growing up in a family where my father didn't think, we had two daughters, my you know older sister and myself, um, or my dad didn't feel like we could carry on the business if we wanted to. Um, and nothing against him, but seeing that, you know, and, and it, even in interior design, it was, it was difficult. Even though a lot of designers were women, a lot of the architects are still men and right. having doors shut in your face because no, you're this or that. And, and I don't want to play the, the, you know, man, woman kind of a, a game. Yeah. It's not that at all. But I think, I think for me, I've always found myself in male dominated industries <laughs> or um, just feeling like equality needs to happen and it needs to happen now. And it's not, it's getting a little bit better but there's just so many wonderful people that are out there that if I can help in any way, if I can even help shape one woman's life or one, you know, one person to say, you know what, I think I can do this or, you know, this is inspiring or, or let's go or yeah, let's, let's try whatever it is that I put on the back burner for 20 years. And doesn't matter if you're 57 and a half, let's go out and do this, whatever it is that they want to do. I mean, I think that that means that I'm doing my job and I'm doing my job well. So, um, it just, yeah, I'm kind of finding a voice or finding, finding meaningful work that means so much to me in highlighting these women. What inspires you? Gosh, life, life itself through challenges and through triumphs and through everything. You just, you learn so much. And if you try to keep a positive outlook, it changes who you are in a great way. And I think I've kind of learned to, and I'm still not great at it, but I, I've, I've learned to say, you know what, if this doesn't work, then I'll try that. If, you know, not to get down on myself and be too negative. I, I used to be such a negative person. And I just, I think by switching that outlook and really trying hard to stay surgical when things get tough, I think that that's, yeah. Well, you are a product of, of making the leap. You're, uh, from what you said, there's a pile of laundry to your right as you prepare <laughs> for another road trip. Uh, when you look back uh, into listeners that, that might be feeling the itch to make changes in their life, what advice would you give? Just go do it. You can always go back to whatever it is, your comfort zone. But if you're not, if you're not if you're comfortable, you're not learning. If you're um, not feeling, you're not learning. You know, it, it's like kind of getting out of your comfort zone, but you never know what's on the other side. And to me, I never used to be the person that was like, oh, I'm just going to go ahead and do this, or I'm going to change this, or I'm going to go switch careers and, you know, start rallying, you know, crazy Arctic rallies and all these types of things. But through those experiences, and they may be on a really grand scale, but even trying new food. It's like, I know people that will never eat anything <laughs> other than hamburgers and mac and cheese. And that's all they eat for their whole entire life. Um, but just try a papaya, you know, whatever yeah. it be. But I, I think for me is, is just literally just going and trying. Cause if you fail, it's like, okay, well, at least you tried, you know, or if you don't like it, you're like, nah, that really wasn't for me. But then at least, you know, versus going through your life and not knowing. And I think that's the biggest thing. So what's next for Mercedes Lilenthal? Oh, Lord. Um, how much time you got? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Um, there's some exciting things in the horizon I can't speak of yet um, or speak to yet. But, um, 
you know, I think for me, continuing to hopefully inspire people in a, in a positive way and uh, creating meaningful content that will um, have people engaged and curious about life and figuring out what they want to do for their own. I have one more question for you before we start our hot lap. Who's Bert? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Bert. Oh, Lordy. Um, Bert is my, oh, geez, Lordy's. Um, my traveling stuffed bunny. He was, oh, Lord. He ended up in the New York Times, oddly enough. My my mom, okay, so my mom still lives in Wisconsin. Two, two second side story. That'll be probably five minutes. Um, so she, she sends me a cheese box, right? So she'll put in a ton of cheese for Andy and myself. You know, during the winter months when it's cold, she'll snail meal it over. And there's usually bars of chocolate and things wedged in every corner because she's a master packer. And Bert ended up being packed in there a couple of years ago. I think it was 2018, actually. And it was right before the Easter Jeep Safari. So, of course, she's found a dime store, you know, bunny and shoved him in there. He's like maybe, I don't know, four inches tall. And it was white and fluffy and silly. And I thought, hey, you know what? We should bring him along with us to Easter Jeep Safari because <laughs> it is Easter, you know. And and uh, I, I put it on the, the worn brute, you know, the worn uh, vehicle at the time that my husband was uh, piloting. And and before you know it, he was sitting on top of the winch and that ended up on Warren's social media. And and I thought, well, this is kind of fun. You know, why don't we just give him a name and call him Burton? Before you knew it, he literally <laughs> is like disgustingly shade of matted brownish weird colors. He's had some decorations <laughs> on him that have fallen off over the, uh, the, the many travels. But he's been, um, gosh, he's been all over the place with us. He's been to Iceland. He's been to um, like the western half of all of Canada. He's been to Alaska. He's been to at least 20 some states that we've known of. Um, so yeah, he's, he's my travel bunny, travel buddy. Uh, a funny little thing, I don't know. I'm terrified of trying to clean him because even though yeah. it's dirty, because a lot of stuff we do is off-road, uh, we're in the middle of nowhere, I don't want him to fall apart, so. <laughs> so he has a lot of, uh, Bert has a lot of miles on him. He's got a ton, a metric, you know, I don't know if I can swear, but a metric crap ton of miles on him, yes. And he's, he's loved every moment, and every once in a while, if I forget, Sorry, Bert. If I uh, forget him on a on a small truck, I feel badly. So, yeah. well, you just take lots of photos and come back and share the adventure. Yes, and and I actually do have um, photos when I do that. I take photos of Bert in said adventures and I send them back to my mother. She, she's eighty four. Um, she does email, so I scale the photos way down so she doesn't have to scroll all the way over and up and see the photos because I take you know high res photos. And but she gets she gets a lot of fun out of it because then she can be on the trails with me. You know, especially when we're at Moab every year, when we do have a chance to go, um, she and my dad were many, many moons ago were uh, off-roading. Then just the two of them, she lost her wedding ring and they never, she, of course, she never found it in Moab, but she always says, go, go make sure to go look at her wedding ring. <laughs> so along with Bert, we always, the three of us have to try to look for her wedding ring that, of course, you know, disappeared like 40 years ago, 50 years ago. When you think of the risks that your mother must have taken, uh, leaving a culture behind and the sacrifices that she made, uh, for herself and for her family, uh, when she sees what you're doing and, and living your life to the beat of your own drum, how proud of you do you think she is of you? Uh, I, I know she's proud of me. She says it a lot, but she's also very proud of my sister. Um, my sister has two beautiful, um, well, they're adults now, young adults, um, Paul and Siobhan, um, my niece and nephew, she lives in Germany and, um, and my sister works really, really, really hard. Um, so she's, 
an awesome um, seamstress. She makes quilts that should be in museums, not just you know to our friends and family. She's an incredible baker as well. And so she's got many talents that I would never, I can sew a button, <laughs> but I'd never be able to make a quilt <laughs> or anything. So I think it's, it's not just necessarily me sure. because it's my sister as well. So my mom um, and of course my father too, even though he passed in 98, um, were quintessentially important because if we didn't go through the, the childhood that we had, even though some of it was, was very difficult, but a lot of it was, was great and, and fun and, you know, engaging, um, we wouldn't be the people that we are today. Fantastic. All right. Well, we're going to put you in a, a little bit more of a hot seat. Uh, this is called the hot lap. So we're going to throw some questions at you. Uh, you said that, uh, you guys don't keep the radio on, but, uh, what's your go-to karaoke song? Oh God, I've actually never done it. <laughs> I've never done karaoke. What would be your go-to karaoke song? Oh God, uh, probably something from Madonna. That's really strange. I don't know why that just came out, but. <laughs> I like it. Uh, what's uh, what's your favorite road snack? Oh gosh, um, we have a lot. Usually there's there's nuts, there's beef jerky, there's uh, sweet tarts. I don't know where that started for a tradition, but we have a roll ready for our Easter Jeep Safari of sweet tarts. <laughs> on your blog, it says that every vehicle is an adventure. Do you name your vehicles? We do. We do. Most of them. Who, who's currently <laughs> in the stable? Uh, we've got five. Four of them actually have a name. Our little Yars, our 07 Yars that we've got lowered and done up, uh, it does has never actually gotten a name. But we have a three-cylinder, 78-horsepower Mirage that is a little hatchback that we call the Rage because that you know <laughs> is the best part of it because um, it's only 78 horsepower. But uh, and then we also have three right-hand drive uh, JDM Mitsubishi turbo diesels. Uh, everything's manual transmission. Uh, we've got two Pajeros. So if you're familiar with the Montero SUV, it's kind yep. of the diesel two-door uh, variant of it. And one of them is called the Rally Tractor, and the other one is called the Terra Tractor. The Terra <laughs> Tractor was the one that did the Alcan 5000, and then the Right now it's called the TBD or to be determined uh, tractor is our big van that we just bought that was in the times when we drove it back. It's travel by Delica. A friend of ours came up with that for a hashtag, but it may change names. I'm not sure if TBD tractor, because we never know where we're going to be. That was the whole basis of that name might change. Not sure. What are you looking forward to in 2021? <sighs> Hopefully the world getting back to some semblance of normal, but I don't think it ever will. Um, just, for everybody to continue to stay safe and stay healthy and um, for the world to hopefully regain a little bit of its normalized consciousness. You have this theme of uh, determination in your life, uh, just looking through your LinkedIn, looking through uh, the decisions that you've made to leap forward and actually uh, in a way to follow you on Twitter is at uh, writer with grit. How did you come up with that name? It was available. <laughs> um, you know, my name obviously is a really long name, Mercedes Lilienthal. So you can't really put that in and everything else is taken. And um, I sometimes go by Oregon Benz, of course, Mercedes Benz, although I'm not mm -hmm. named after the car, but um, I might not live in Oregon all my life. So I, I don't know. Um, so I think writer with grit, that to me, everything that I write about, I want to be real. Everything I write about, I don't want it to be skewed. I want it to be objective and highlight the true interviewees or the true subject matter and in a just honest way. And, and, and you know, just and I think for me, 
off-road equals dirt equals grit equals, you know, all that kind of thing. So I think writer with grit stuck. Um, I also thought of writer with focus, but then uh, I think writer with grit kind of did the more off-road adventures, you know, segment a little bit better. So, and that's just recent. I'm one of the last people to sign up with Twitter, but uh, you know, <laughs> like, oh, that's a good time for everything, I suppose. I think it encapsulates you. I think the grit, it's powerful. It's that, that determined, it's that uh, dedication. Um, and then I go back to your most recent post. If you're not failing, you're not trying. Yeah. I, and I fail a lot. I feel an absolute metric metric ton, but for me, it's what you do with that, that can keep you either moving forward or start taking you back. And I just don't want to go back. <laughs> I just want to keep on moving forward and seeing where my life takes us with Andy and me. Well, congratulations to you and and good luck uh, on this next adventure that you guys are kicking off on. Uh, Mercedes Lilienthal, thank you so much for uh, hanging out with us on Women Shifting Gears. Thank you for having me. It was an extreme pleasure. The Women Shifting Gears podcast is produced by GS Events, a female-owned collective with a mission to amplify women's voices across the automotive culture. Follow along on our journey on Instagram and Twitter at the handle Women Shifting Gears or on the web at gsevents.live.